Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Doggone Good Information. And I'd like to welcome my co-host, Tommy Fahey. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Heidi. How, How are you, you today? I'm great. Doing well. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. Surviving the heat of the summer. The dog days of summer, for sure. Yeah. yeah. We're in it. Yeah. And you're in Missouri. I'm in Florida. We've had, uh, I can't really complain because we're not the hottest place in the country, but we have been in the 90s, which is a little little hot for Florida with our full-on humidity. And Missouri, yes. I know, can be heavy on humidity. It's been pretty rough today, yeah. uh, or this, this past couple of weeks. It's been pretty warm and high 90s and oh, 50% yeah. humidity or more every day, which isn't much compared to Florida, but yeah. it's still high. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, we have a we have a good episode today talking with a lady who um, is a dog trainer and also does service dogs, which is something I'm so intrigued and interested in, intrigued with and interested in. So um, we'll get to that in a minute. I have a story I saw in the news that came up. I think we talked about this in a very early episode. Um, Biden's dog is in trouble again. Have you have you heard oh, this yes. story? The uh, shepherd I think he sent me this link. Yeah, yeah. One shepherd was major, and one is commander. I believe major was the older one. Uh, two German shepherds. So they had an older German shepherd who, by all accounts, was a really good dog. Appeared to be well trained and old enough. It was just kind of hanging out. Well, they got it. They got a young dog, and I believe it was a dog. You know, rescued dog, a shepherd, and because um, the other one needed a buddy. Well, did he? Of course. <laughs> Come on, you said. <laughs> did he? But did he? <laughs> but did so he really. Um, the dog right away bit. This was early on when I was just starting the podcast. So over. This past winter of 22, 23, I'd read a story where he'd already bit a secret service man and they kind of said, oh, he was startled and all that. And I, I wasn't thinking along those lines. Well, he's up to 10, 10 different people. And the, the story I read was that like maybe Jill Biden, Biden was holding him and he like pulled away and this is yeah. a German shepherd. So really dangerous. And, um, they were kind of downplaying it, but the last one I think required some hospitalization. So it's it's a big deal. Has there been anything said on how they're going to handle that? If they're going to, you know, find him a different home or a different job? They're or talking training about or... training, but you know, they my the reason I bring up this story is my frustration with it is uh, he. Um, they they downplay it a little bit, like oh well yeah. he's just he's just young and he's just um, you know a little excitable and um, no it's not it's a dog that they probably don't know the history on and they've given him a pass and you don't give a dog a pass for biting you just don't for aggression right. it needs a a very experienced good trainer and um, initially when they moved in the White House he had to go to Delaware. He was shipped out because okay. he caused yeah. a little havoc. So it's back in the news. And again, I my heart breaks for the animals, right? they It's never the animal's fault. Uh, the humans have failed them, but they're, they're just emotional enough about the animals and that type of thing. And they need to get over that and do what's right for the dog. This may not be the right dog for this type of lifestyle for sure, you know? Yeah, I, I imagine... 
I mean, I'm, I've never lived in the White House, obviously, um, but I would imagine if you were a resident of the White House, there's a lot of people in and out and a lot of yeah. activity and a lot of uh, more than likely high stress. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, it's going to take a certain type of animal that's going to be able to handle that type of environment. Agreed. Um, and well-trained. Correct. Yeah. Even if you just were talking about the uh, the amount of people that probably come in and out from the Secret Service to the, uh, I'm sure that there's uh, maid staff and uh, food and, you know. Yeah. It's a very busy place. Um, and imagine the energy because you've got Secret Service, you've got attention. There's no doubt attention of some sort. Um, at times. And actually the, the first lady's communications director actually said the white house complex is a unique and often stressful environment for family pets. And the first family are working their way to make the situation better. Um, they, they definitely need to get the dog somewhere else and get it probably aboard and train. Um, they need a, they need a badass dog trainer deals with aggressive dogs and maybe, you know, really he he needs to go live, yeah. In a different environment for yeah. a while and maybe not, not live in the White House. Yeah, until they see if it's appropriate. So anyhow, yeah. it just again I bring it up um not celebrating in their in their woes at all, but just we have to stop being so um nonsensical about well, he was just nervous or he was just this no, he's a German shepherd who's got an aggress- aggression problem and needs to be dealt with. And Yeah, and we're in a time also, we talked about this before of society. And this is a big issue that we talk about is now he, they're under the microscope. They've got eyes on them. Yeah. So it's a dog training problem, but it's a PR problem. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So well said. <laughs> so really they're, they're trying to do their best to, yeah. uh, but CYA as they, as they might uh, know the acronym cover your, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so they don't want to be known for, you yeah. know, the president that put the dog down because it was aggressive. Right. That's, that's going to be a major PR issue, but yeah, yeah. you take that individual dog, put him into, you know, my neighbor's backyard and he's bit 10 people. That dog is now being euthanized yeah. because he's a, a high risk fighter. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely needs to be dealt with and they need to, what I would like them is to tell a real story that rescues aren't for everybody. They do require training. They're not, it's not love and cookies. And so I think this is a a teachable moment. So that's why I bring it up. And you make some good points as well. If this were somewhere else, this would be a very different story. And it did put somebody in the hospital. I confirmed that in this article. And um, yeah, Dr. Jill Biden couldn't regain control as the dog charged we see that every day on the street and I scold people for mm-hmm. that because it's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Somebody, more people will get hurt. So that's the deal. And let's keep following it and see, hopefully, you know, I've raised my hand, but I don't train a lot of aggressive dogs. I've just with my handicapped hand, it's just, it's, it's a little harder to do, but I'd like to see somebody who's really capable, try to do what's right for that dog, you know, and yeah, keep they- people safe. <laughs> They certainly have the resources to do that. Yeah. And again, this is a very teachable moment about being real 
about our animals and what's in their best interest. And so, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point. Teachable moment, Mm -hmm. not a PR stunt. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be real about it. It's important because a lot of people are going through this. And so let's set the stage to handle it. Right. So, yeah. All right. Anything on your end before we dive into our. Yeah. Yeah. I had kind of along the same lines, actually. Um, I had a client this week, a horse training client um, that got attacked by a dog. Oh, boy. Um, so she's a, a landlord. She has some uh, different properties and she had gone into this particular property an apartment that uh, she was not aware that there was a dog there. Uh, there, it was not supposed to be there. Oh yeah. Um, and she let herself in as she had every right to do because she owns the, the property and the dog uh, oh. came out of nowhere and attacked her. Jeez. So the, the story details were that it was some kind of a cattle dog, uh, some kind of a mixed breed cattle dog. So a working dog with high drive. We've talked about that before. Um, who's been cooped up in a apartment Uh. and not out working, not doesn't have a job. Um, so again, it's a situation where the dog really didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. The dog acted like a dog. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know the extent of the dog's training or handling, Um, but it's a situation where there's a dog in a place where it shouldn't be. It's in an environment where it should not be, um, not dissimilar to the dog, uh, living in the white house that probably should not be in that environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think it's kind of a, again, teachable moment is think about, are you doing what's in the best interest for that particular animal? Is it appropriate for them to be in that environment? Should, should they be living there? Is that the best case scenario? And if you can't provide the best environment for that dog, it's okay to move along and find it a different home um, and find different solutions for these problems. You don't have to keep that dog. Absolutely. Um, and it's, a, it's the unselfish thing to do is do correct. right by the animal. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's difficult because we, we, there are pets and we are attached to them and, Um, you know, that is very troubling to do, but you have to do what's in the best interest of that individual. Yeah. And, and understand also there is a liability in having these animals and they are aggressive. And if they're, if they're aggressive and they're remaining aggressive, you're definitely not able to handle that and you need to get help and you need to get them where they're in a safe place. And the people around them are safe. And that is yeah. critical. We see that with horses as well. You and yeah. I. And oh, um, all the time. that's our first part of our job. Safety first. Make sure this yes. environment's safe. And I, um, I think I've told more clients than not that they needed to get a different horse. Oh, that yeah. horse was not for them. Oh, um, yeah. And the same for dogs. I've Sometimes told many that, clients that they've that that this is not the dog and I would help them rehome it and we could get it trained yeah. and it had nothing to do with the animal really. It was their their poor choice and lifestyle and lack of yeah. training, all those things. So if yeah. you're listening to this and you're not setting your bar high or you have an animal that you can't do right by, you can't take a cattle dog and leave it in an apartment eight or ten hours a day and not have trouble erupt. It's just, you know, going to be the case. Any border collies, just dogs that need, all of our dogs need attention, but some need more 
work or, you know, things to do than others. And if you're not training your dog, you're doing a disservice because that dog, you're not keeping it out of harm's way for the rest of its life. You're not guaranteeing that. So that's all the stuff I want to talk with our next guest about as well. Uh, Amy Pishner has Valor Canine Dog Training, does primarily at this point puppy training, just obedience training, foundation training, and then service dog training, which is I'm very jazzed about, as you know, I'm something I'm looking to do more of. She's out of Idaho, so um, looking forward to our interview. Excellent. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Well, I'm joined by Amy Pishner today from Valor Canine Training, and um, I'm happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me to do this. I love doing this kind of thing. Yeah, terrific. You know, I was, uh, I when I reached out to you, I follow you on social media. So that's where um, one of the people with uh, some common sense uh, mm-hmm. dog information, we live in such a crazy world as animal trainers, I find it difficult because there's so much emotion and mm-hmm. I, I know from experience as a third generation animal trainer, that's the one thing we need to check and we need to get back to best practices and, you know, what's, what's in the best interest of the animals. And um, yes. so go ahead and tell me about the type of business you have. What kind of dog tra- Is it all dog training and what do you do? Yeah, so um, I opened Valor Canine Academy back in 2014. Um, It was kind of a passion turned career for me. Um, Over the years, we've done everything from puppy training and family dog obedience to behavioral rehabilitation, progressive and fearful dogs, service dog work, and I also do personal protection dog training. So our focus, yeah. Is puppy training, family dog obedience, and service dogs, and then I have a protection dog company on the side as well. So, okay, um, we are common sense dog trainers. That's my philosophy. <laughs> you have to do. You have to train the dog in front of you, and you have to use the science of dog training. I mean, that's just common sense. Um, but we really focus on a balanced approach to training that emphasizes the importance of a strong foundation, um, and then we have everything is accessible to us using rewards, using a slip lead, adding in a training collar, proofing with an e-collar, prong collar, that kind of thing. So our focus is really on that foundation training. And and my goal is to really get to people and reach them before they even get a dog in the first place. Amen, sister. (laughs) Get the right dog, raise the dog right. Yeah. It's going to be a recipe for success as opposed to getting dogs that are on their sixth or seventh trainer you know, multiple bites, dogs that, you know, it's kind of like uh, your last, last resort. So, yeah. And we've, at that point, oftentimes we as humans have failed that animal and it is the emotion and the not following common sense and best practices and the science of dog training that gets mm-hmm. them in that trouble. And um, so you're, you're speaking my language. I love it. <laughs> and uh, where are you located? Um, I'm in Horseshoe Bend, Idaho. Oh, and we also have training locations in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We did train a lot up in Spokane, Washington. Okay. And now our headquarters is here in Idaho. Okay, great. And do you have a facility at your house, or do you have a separate in the scenario? Works. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Yes. I was I was spoiled with a really nice facility in Spokane. Uh-huh. We did a lot of classes and big events there. Um, and we are in the process of building facility. It's huge. It's going to be just over. 
4,000 square feet plus some a second level and everything. So five, wow. six square feet. Um, it's going to be huge. It's going to, um, it's going to have the capacity to do large workshops, seminars, big events. But then I also want to get back to my roots and do, you know, puppy classes and yeah. basic obedience classes. So it's about half finished. It's a yeah. big project. It's paused right now while we do the online program. Um, so we're hoping to get it done by next fall. Great. And um, fantastic. And I share your heart for um, if we can get to people before they get the dogs, Mm -hmm. you know, why are they getting a dog? And then if if that Mm -hmm. if they've covered that base and legitimately want a dog and are ready for it and all of that, then what where to source the dog? You know, they tell everybody to go to a shelter. I'm not on board with that. I think that If, you know, if it's the right scenario and you could do right by those animals, that's fine. But just feeling sorry for them because of their plight doesn't mean that it's a safe or appropriate situation. I happen to be fine and have gone to breeders for my dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I want a good breeder, but it's easy to tell a good breeder. We vilify all breeders, but breeders yeah. will be selective about who their dogs go to. They'll want to make sure that you're ready and that mm-hmm. the breed is correct. And they will offer to take the dog back, which I saw recently yes. you noted yeah. on your website or social media. So that's, yeah. it's not hard to find out. And let's stop vilifying everybody who breeds dogs because frankly, yes. The breeders are the the solution to this problem, not the problem. They really are. Um, We need purpose-bred dogs. Yes. And a lot of the clients that we work with, they come to me specifically saying, I need this type of dog, this size to do this job with this temperament. And you just can't go into a shelter and look at whatever litter of puppies they have, even if the dog passes the temperament test, some genetics don't come into play until later. Yeah, You have to go with a reputable breeder that knows what they're doing and is willing to tell other buyers no because they know who their right buyer is. Yes. So I love working with breeders who know me and know what I stand for and know the types of clients that I have. Because like you're saying, a good breeder is super selective too. Yeah. You know, they want the right buyers for their puppies to set them up for success. And and I love right. helping point those people in the right direction of a great breeder. Yeah. And again, if you if if you're if it's right for your family and you find the right shelter dog, wonderful. There's not rescue, that type of thing. We've just so co-opted the word rescue. Every dog is rescued. Well, you know, I always say, I don't need to know their story. And when we're going to start a new story today, we're not going to feed on that old story or what. And most of the times it's guesswork. Anyhow, this dog was abused by a man in a a black hat or a guy in a white t-shirt or no, they just don't know anything. So they're timid about everything or they're aggressive or whatever, however they manifest that. And I know such a huge misconception there. Yeah. Work with a fearful or aggressive dog. Everybody wants to go back to the dog's sob story. Yes. Or the assumed sob story of this dog was clearly abused then. Yeah. It makes yeah. a big difference on genetics and how the dog was raised and how the dog was socialized. Right. And the majority of dogs out there were not abused. They just weren't socialized. Right. They weren't trained, which is, you know, neglectful because it, my saying at the, um, on my podcast is, 
the best thing you could do if you truly love and care for animals, the best thing you could do for them. And I'm a horse and dog trainer is train them or make sure they have the best training they could get on their foundation. Those are not Mm -hmm. the animals who come into harm's way. And this forever home thing, we should absolutely get an animal with the intention of keeping it for its life. Or in my case, I train for other people. So I'm going to make sure that I'm handing it over to somebody who can do right by it. But I I don't have a crystal ball. I hope I have my dogs forever. But I actually rehomed my horses because I couldn't care for them. But Mm -hmm. they were standing in line to get them. And they all have fantastic homes. And I have my heart is full on it. And the people who have them are, you know, so that's just so much the thing. Extremism in dogs. Oh in gosh. The dog world. Like, Oh yeah. I understand and support the concept that when you get a dog, you're getting that dog for life. Yes. However, yes. There is no always or never in anything. And especially in dogs or dog training, I support rehoming. If you are being honest and selfless about yes. your situation, the dog situation, I've rehomed dogs only to people that I know and they're sure. in their homes. I've even taken one back because they realized I was now a better fit in my circumstances for the dog. So they selflessly gave them back. I think if people love their dogs enough, there are a lot of dogs that maybe shouldn't be in the homes that they're in. Agreed. People are too stubborn and selfish to realize that they're not the best fit for that dog anymore. But then some people use that as an excuse to just rehome their dog willy nilly and not think twice about it. Yeah. And I know, um, I'm sure you've had this experience, but when people pay me, I'm, I'm a bit of an opinionated person to begin with, let's face it, but like surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> but when pe- somebody's paying me to come in and I'm, you know, we need help with my, you know, I need help with my dog. And I've actually said to several clients, this is not the right dog for you. Let me help you. Mm-hmm. Get this dog a better training, a foundation, and then let's get it a different home. Too big for the people that have it. It's going to, you know, uh, pull people over, older people, you know, yeah. a big, a big busy lab. That's a great dog. So I, I believe in that. And they're like, that's like, it's horrifying, you know, actually the, the dog, they're not going to hang on to their story. Only if you make them hang on to their story, oh, yeah. they're going to, they don't, I always say animals don't overthink it. I grew up with a lot of exotics as well. I love that. We get, we get in their way, you know, mm-hmm. they don't, they're not out there mm-hmm. overthinking it. They're pretty pure about this is, you know, and this is the way it is. This is their instinct. And they just move on. We get in their way and make them nuts and neurotic. And it's mm-hmm. really unfortunate because we're really screwing up a lot of particularly dogs at this point. It's job security for us. But I always mm-hmm. say, I wish they'd put me out of business. I'd be yeah. happy. You'll have a business because you're training service dogs. And what a noble, wonderful thing to do. And they will always be puppies to train. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always say that'd be a great problem to have if we didn't have enough dogs to train everybody was doing well i would love it if i never got another inquiry for rehab you know <laughs> yeah. for a dog but that's just not going to happen they're just like you said there are so many ways that humans fail dogs right and there are so many people with good intentions but at yes. the end of the day it's not marrying up their intentions are not fitting the dog the dog is not fitting their lifestyle 
Um, and, and a lot of people are just selfish. I, I work with a lot of people who get a dog because it's popular in social media. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've all, I'm 80 years old and I've always wanted a Rottweiler and it's like, yeah, yeah. That Bad. Is not the right dog for you. Yeah. But they just, they don't want to admit it. And it's like, well, that is, that's not doing right by the dog at all. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Tell, tell me a little bit more. You mentioned the science of training. So I have a pet peeve. Uh, we have a, we have an episode, uh, a piece of our podcast at the end, we call our pet peeve. And I've, I've used this a couple times, but my pet peeve is I train with positive reinforcement only. Well, uh, you know, I've trained a lot of different animals. There's no such method. It's part of operant yeah. conditioning. Did you put a leash on it? It's a quadrant, right? Did you pull on that leash at all? Did, only. did you with, <laughs> withhold that treat? So I think you know. And at this point, we're talking to people who may be buying into that, and mm-hmm. I, I try not to shame them about that, but I try to make them understand that if they're asking, trainers are saying that because people want are asking or think they want that. It feels good. Yeah. And it's has nothing to do. It's like raising children. And some Mm -hmm. people are offended by that analogy, but I had animals before kids. I applied the same, uh, you know, reward, discipline, uh, you know, consistency, clarity, my principles of training. And it worked Mm -hmm. out quite well. They're adults and, you know, you're never off the hook. (laughs) Yes. Lots of parallels between dog training and kid training. Yeah. So help, help the person who's listening, who decided that Mm -hmm. their dog should be trained only with positive reinforcement because someone told them that's true. What does the Mm -hmm. science of dog training mean? Explain, walk us through that. Well, I mean, for somebody who says, I want to train my dog using positive reinforcement only, I'll just tell them flat out, like, that's great. I'm not going to be the trainer for you if you want real results. Mm-hmm. Positive reinforcement is great. The concept is that you you give the dog an opportunity to learn, to become an active learner. You use rewards, yeah. food, praise, affection, um, toy play for some people. I don't I don't go to toys for a dog that doesn't have any foundation. Yeah. But you it's yeah, that's great in theory to use rewards to teach a dog. That is how I do it. Now, I also put a slip lead on and I stop bratty behavior and I'm yes. not going to let the dog walk all over me in the process, but it's very helpful to the dog to be able to feel like the dog can make mistakes and be learning mm-hmm. in the process of training. But there comes a time where rewards are not going to work anymore and the dog deserves the clarity of communication of adding a training collar. So our process is we use rewards to build the foundation. Doesn't matter the age of the dog. Yeah. It's different with rehab dogs, but with puppies and, and nice dogs. Yes. Right. You use rewards, you teach them basic behaviors, commands, skills, and you get them to a certain point in training. Then whether it's age or behavior, once a puppy reaches six months of age or an adult dog has that foundation, it's time to be fair enough to add a training collar and teach the dog the other half of the equation. Okay, I told you to sit, you didn't sit. Now I'm going to correct you for not sitting. There's a consequence for disobedience. And it's like a light bulb moment for the dog. You correct them for disobeying a command. You correct them for leaving heel position. You correct them for, you know, lack of impulse. And the dog realizes that, because they're selfish creatures, the dog realizes that what's in its best interest is to go with the reward system, <laughs> obey the command, ignore the distraction, focus on the handler, and get rewarded. 
Yeah. Because you are willing to dish out the corrections. And once they realize that and there's that clarity where they're like, okay, then I will do what you said to do because that's what works best for me. Yeah. It's, it's the fairest way to train. I've worked with, I've, I have worked with a lot of dogs that have gone to positive only trainers and those dogs have really nice obedience. They really do. In a distraction-free environment, yeah, state, <laughs> exactly. they will obey the commands. But as soon as there's something more appealing and you've already shown them all the cards you have, like, okay, or you didn't want the sausage, I'll give you steak, I'll give you yeah. cooked, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. If you didn't want to obey the command, well, then I guess you don't have to. Once, you, if it, When the dog realizes there's no consequence for bad behavior, it's a very empowering to that dog. So those dogs that have nice obedience for stake in a distraction-free environment are also super naughty dogs. Yeah. The owners have their hands tied behind their backs. So that's where I step in and say, this is the limitation of positive-only training. Yes. Only rewarding your dog creates a dog that knows things and is usually very entitled and bratty. Yeah. That's when I step in and the dog has a little like, whoa, who are you? Yeah. At the end of the day, the dog is happier. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Harmony with their owners. Absolutely. And they have a better relationship as a result of it. I have a great relationship with my daughter. I use a balanced system of training for her. Yes. Right. She she chooses good behavior because she wants to, but she knows that there are consequences for bad behavior. It's no different. Dogs, kids, they all operate the same. We operate that way. Absolutely. I, I say that all the time. That's exactly right. We we can see it a little clearer with kids, but we all operate that way. And mm-hmm. you're you're absolutely right that they um that um, I have a dog. I have a three year old dog, Otis, who is from a hoarding situation. So they they got thirty five dogs out of this guy's yard and poodles of all things. Mm-hmm. Not that you should hoard any dogs, but Poodles have hair and require a lot of maintenance. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's mind-boggling to me that if you're not going to care for animals, you'd want one that's such high maintenance. Yeah. yeah. But he's a big standard 70-pound poodle, and he was the baby daddy. So okay. he's three years old, doesn't know a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't give two two uh, flips about another dog. He, he's not at all looking at a dog. But like mm-hmm. if the wind blows or a car goes by, because he didn't, he, I'm sure he was in a cage under a barn, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. um, he is not food motivated. Mm-hmm. I could offer him prime rib. I mean, he just isn't. And I don't, I'm not a big treat trainer anyhow. I've actually taken a page from other people's books because I, I benchmark and look at what other trainers are doing, especially now with YouTube and podcasts and training videos. And I've started with puppies. I use more food than I used to and that kind of thing. But Otis, I'm, I'm happy. I grew up the way I did with the instruction because he's not food motivated and it's okay. We just move right on. And so his motivation is to, to, um, feel good to get rewards and like, good boy. And, you know, pet him and say that and change my tone. So I, I, totally understand the process of that and you get these dogs that I'll, I'll watch other people's dogs for them and you have dogs who yes they they have some skills but they're not controllable when they don't want to be controlled my father used to say our animals aren't trained until they make all the mistakes and we come out the other side so we've trained them to sit they sit they stay we can walk away all good right we've gone through the steps to do that 
And now one day they're going to get up and come out of that sit and like be completely defiant about it. We got to go back through the stages, put them back down. And when we get through that and then they say, okay, I got it. That's when we have a trained animal. So I always, I always look for those, you know, I'm always looking for the mistakes or the, the testing and Mm -hmm. it's healthy. Set the, and we, yeah, set the bar high. Um, Mm -hmm. So service dogs, tell us about Mm -hmm. what you do. I'm really passionate about this topic. Um, I, I so love what people, the, the set the bar high in the training. I say to a lot of my clients when they're like, they've lowered the bar so much, like this dog won't even sit when I tell them to sit, you know? And I always say, think service dog, like Mm -hmm. think service dog, eyes on me or eyes uh, not on anything looking just straight ahead or Mm -hmm. like, what would you like me to do next? And even to the extent that they know they're told when they get to play and have fun or they're off duty. So um, tell us about service dogs, how you got into that and what's involved in the training and such. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, service dogs are the reason I got into dogs as much as I did. I was in the military, um, had some trauma in the military, and I I turned to dogs. They were always my escape. Um, That evolved to, you know, rescuing and and rehoming dogs and getting involved in like the training and adoption side of things. Uh Um, I eventually landed on a dog of my own. I rehabilitated her. She was very fearful, very skittish, um, and kind of the the she ended. Up, so I saved her. She saved me. Yeah, That's kind of the story. Yeah. So by the time I got her fixed, I was going through my own problems, my own struggles um, from the military, and she became my service dog. So she was kind of self trained. She trained herself. <laughs> I gotcha. She learned the obedience from me, but she was just a natural when it came yeah. to being very in tune with my emotions, um, alerting to a panic attack, that kind of thing, um, providing that distraction for me as a handler in public to focus on her. So she gave me my freedom back. She gave me my independence back over the years. Um, and now like service dogs are a huge part of what we do. It's probably 50% of our clientele at this point, our service dog clients. Oh, nice. Pretty significant because only, you know, 2% of people out there need a service dog. Yeah. So we focus on, on PTSD service dogs, TBIs, mobility support, um, POTS. One of our trainers has POTS. So it's a huge passion of hers is to help other people who have, you know, significant and chronic health issues, um, you know, epilepsy. So we, we specialize in several areas of service work and we're very passionate again about helping people get the right dog or puppy, usually puppy 95. Yeah. Very hard to access. Um, so getting the right puppy and just taking them through that process, you know, every step of the way of helping them raise and train that service dog. So it's a big part of what we do. My standards are very high. Um, and I feel like as a general rule, and I know you agree with me, the standards in the industry need to go up. Oh, yeah. A lot of trainers out there who, you know, they're just getting their feet wet and service dog training is more advanced. Like you were saying, like that dog has to be bomb proof, super focused yeah. on the handler, super neutral to everything and tasking anytime the vest is on or even off, you know, when the dog's at home. So it's a very involved thing. And I think people fail to realize just how much we're asking for from the dog um, and what it takes to get a dog to that point. So 
we, we love being able to bring on a small number of clientele and provide them top quality training and help from start to finish in that process. And we have a good success rate. Um, I don't think a lot of trainers talk enough about the fail rate in service dogs. Yeah. Whether it's on the dog's end or the handler's end, if people get overwhelmed in the training process or there's too much asked of them and they have disabilities of their own that they're working through, there's a high fail rate, you know, as a general rule. So we, we love knowing that our clients are overall very successful, you know, being with us in the journey of helping to raise and train their service dog. So it's a big part of what we do. So in your scenario, do you, do people like purchase their own dog or you help them purchase it and then you train it for them? Is that the scenario? Um, it, I'd say it's 50-50 with um, people who already have a dog and they need help training that dog. So whether they have a puppy or they have an adult dog and they're at various stages of the process of service dog training, so we kind of jump in and help them finish, um, that's 50% of clients. The other half they do, I, I put so much information out there about the importance of getting the right dog to begin with. So we're really getting a lot of people who come to us before they have a, a dog at all. And they're like, I want to do this right. Um, you Great. Know, our puppy selection service. I'm going to help you pick the puppy. I'm going to help you pick the breeder. And I'm going to help I'm going to help you pick the breed, the breeder, and the specific puppy within a litter yeah. that I feel is best suited for service work. And then they go through the training process, whether that's mostly private lessons or board and trains, whatever works for them to get to the end goal. Awesome. Do you, are what kind of breeds? Is it primarily German Shepherds or are there various Actually, breeds? Actually, it's, it's primarily Golden Retrievers. Oh, okay. It's, Great. Um, One of my favorite dogs. Yeah. I love German Shepherds. um, And I've raised several of them for service work from puppy up. Um, But the majority of our clients, we usually steer them towards a a golden retriever. Okay. uh, Maybe maybe a lab. um, Yeah. Huge misconception with labs. They're not always chill. Oh. (laughs) So English labs, English goldens. Yeah. But those are the most popular, sometimes standard poodles. Um, Yeah, I really want to work with one of the reasons I wanted a big dog. I do some clinics and demos and I I want to I thought it would be fun. I'm a performer. So to put together a little routine with the dogs, I have a multi poo as well. So they do some tricks and stuff together. And it's just good training. The more training for Otis, the better because he just, you know, doesn't know anything. But I do want to train. I've never trained a service dog. And uh so I want to try my chops at it, and uh, huh. he's a big, very low-key dog. He's a good, he's a good candidate for it. Nice. Um, nice. It's interesting you said that about labs because we did puppy raising for canine companions, and we got this beautiful, incredibly bred, well, uh, well-bred uh, black lab. She okay. did not make the cut, and I could have told uh-huh. you a few weeks she in. Yeah, I and they spayed her and she got even, she was so hyped up. Um, what a great dog. I didn't have any, a horse farm or anything at the time. I was raising kids and we were living in a subdivision, but because we had first option to take her. Okay. She would have been great on a big piece of property, just running. Mm-hmm. She needed to work. She needed, mm-hmm. um, but I, I knew early on she wasn't probably going to make the cut. And you're right. Um, I think their rate is, it's less than 50, I want to say, 50%. Um, but that's great in some ways because they've got these well-bred dogs that are going to be good pets and yeah. they have their, they set their bar so high to get 
the dogs that are going to be really high-end service dogs. So, Yeah. Well, I think what's tricky and it's, you know, it's really what I've been zeroing in on with my clients is it's really hard to find a well-bred puppy of a specific breed that has the temperament for service work Mm -hmm. because a lot of what we're asking for from a puppy is conflicting and hard to find. (laughs) So for example, we want very confident puppies, but a lot of the time confidence and dominance go hand in hand. Yeah, That's going to be problematic for a handler who is soft spoken or, you know, just not set up for a very dominant dog that has the confidence they need, but is too much dog. And then on the flip side of that, we want a dog that's highly motivated, a lot of food drive, decent toy drive, depending on what the job is going to be for that dog, but we can't have too much prey drive. So sometimes that toy drive and that prey drive are conflicting and yeah, you know, and then you want a dog who's very handler focused, but can grow to have the ability to only focus on the handler and not love everybody else, you know? So there's, there's a lot and you're assessing all of that at yeah. seven weeks old with the puppy. So there's a, there's a lot that we look for in a puppy. What's your lifestyle? What's your perfect dog like? What are some big, you know, yeses and nos that you can think of that you need in a dog? And it kind of helps people realize like, wow, I really didn't know what I was looking for. Um, and that's why I'm glad, you know, that I'm talking to those clients in the first place because I can steer them towards, okay, well, this is, this is the breed. This is the breeder. This is the puppy. Now let's go. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, so I want to wrap up here with you providing, what do you, what would you say to the person who's been listening and we have their attention and maybe they're getting ready to get a dog mm-hmm. or they have a dog that they know probably doesn't behave or they're setting the bar too low. What, what would you leave them with? And maybe if they don't live near you or I or looking for a trainer or understanding they need a trainer, what would you leave them with? Uh, as far as them wanting to find a trainer, like what to look well, for? Well, like what advice? What, yeah, what, are, what should we, how would you direct them from here to even understand they need a trainer maybe, you know, yeah. like setting the bar um, high? I mean, it's just like anything in life. You know, I have a truck. Doesn't mean I know how to change the oil myself. Doesn't mean I should try it. I'm not going to, you know, Google it and try to figure it out myself. I could make a mistake or screw up the engine in some way. That's just going to cost me a lot more in the long run. Dogs are the same way. If you have a puppy, I mean, everybody's busy. Everybody has, you know, a thousand things going on. They've got families and kids in life. Why wouldn't you want to just cut to the chase, go to private lessons, do a board and train, whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat, whatever fits your schedule and your budget. Why wouldn't you want to do it that way? Why wouldn't you want to get that help to do things right? I mean, a dog is a 10 to 15 year commitment, like you say. It is. So why not start off on the right foot with that dog? Yes, it's going to cost you time. You have to commit to doing lessons. Yes, it's going to cost you, you know, nine to 14 years to enjoy that dog. Exactly. So many people (laughs) just wait and then they have this dog. Everybody says like, I love my dog, but I don't like my dog. Yeah. Right. They're dealing with a disrespectful dog. Crazy. Jumping on my furniture, knocking over the kids, barking at the neighbor. That's not what dog ownership is all about. No. I love my dogs and I like my dogs because they're well-behaved and well-trained because they jive with me because we work together because I can 
go anywhere, do anything with them. That's right. Professional training is what gets you that end result. You can do it on your own and people have and, and they're successful. And those are the ones we don't work with. That's great. But if there's a doubt in your mind that maybe you don't know what you're doing or you're Googling, how do I do this? How do I do that? And you're getting articles from 15 different trainers. Your dog is going to be a mixed bag of training. Like that's not good. Yeah. Good training is better than bad training. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's just the way that I look at it is accept your own limitations. If you're not a dog trainer, you're not a dog trainer, go to a dog trainer, let them show you and take it from there. You're not training for 15 years with a trainer. You're training for a few months and then you're done and you enjoy your dog. You can enjoy your dog. I I see it all the time. People feel guilty because they don't like their dogs because Mm -hmm. they're so ill-mannered. They can't walk them. They can't take them places, can't depend on them, which is as a dog trainer, I I can, and I think this is my litmus test, when I can predict with pretty good accuracy how my dog is going to, my animal, uh, dogs mm-hmm. or horses, are going to react. And mm-hmm. very seldom am I wrong. I do it professionally, but that's what I need out of my animals. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can take them there. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go there. There are very few places I don't go because, again, I've trained at such a high level, but... Um, so yes, absolutely. And people just aren't, aren't enjoying it. And they don't realize that Mm -hmm. even if the dog's not a puppy, it could still be more than likely sorted out for sure. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and should, there's a saying I read online from a dog trainer that I've really started to use a lot that I love. Dog training is hard. Not training your dog is a lot harder. harder. And I think that's so succinct because they don't, like you said, they don't want to put out the money. They don't want to, the time, whatever it is, um, or they're, you know, just decided they're going to do it themselves. But then they end up with this just disrespectful dog. And I'm sure as a dog trainer, because we go to our friend's house, everybody has dogs. Oh my gosh! I'm always (laughs) hearing, oh, well, I wish he wouldn't do that or this, but everything Mm -hmm. else is good. And I mm-hmm. just kind of have to roll my eyes because I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, you got to go right back to the beginning. This is all, this is all indicative of holes in your foundation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has been a delight talking to you. I, um, you. I want to go to Idaho and uh, visit the the territory, but I need to come to you and get and learn how to train uh, service dogs. I'm something. Yeah. It's really a bucket list for me, and I have a pretty good idea, but. I'd love to see somebody in action and appreciate that it's a next level of training. So I will. I'm working on an online program. We're doing our puppy head start now. Oh, great program next start to finish raising and training a puppy. But the third program that we'll have will be our service dog program. Great. So that's going to be educating people on everything that we do when it comes to service dogs from selection to raising and training the differences between a service dog and a pet dog and then task training, public access training. So yeah, good. Because the fake coming out here, you the fake see. service dog is oh, out man. of control, and they can go. I'll I'll post your social media. You have some thoughts on that, and mm-hmm. I just I I sh- I want to shame anybody who does it. I just it's so wrong. And it, I here's my saying: Not only are you pretending it's a service dog and causing harm to those who really are need their independence and can only get it through their dogs. 
But if you can't leave your dog at home for an hour or two while you go to the store, <laughs> you have got much bigger problems yes. than your fake service dog. If there's mm -hmm. a, a lot of problems in your training program and you're jeopardizing mm -hmm. that dog for life because if something happens to you, that dog is going to live a horrible life because it's yeah. not well trained. It's probably bouncing off the walls, whatever. Yeah. And um, so I, that's my line is you've got bigger problems if you can't leave that dog home alone for an hour while you go to our public grocery store or somewhere like that where it doesn't my belong mom, in the first place. My mom had a saying growing up when I was a kid. She would say, you know, she would tell us it's not enough for us to enjoy you. Other people need to enjoy you, too. Ah. That's really how it should be for dogs. It's not enough yeah. that you like and enjoy your dog or love your dog. Other people should enjoy your dog too, being around your dog. Right. You know, and I think there are a lot of people that are very clueless about just how awful their dogs are. Yeah. Or we should have the ability, like my dogs don't get to visit people unless, you know, I'm like, okay, do you want them to visit you? Because mm -hmm. we don't yeah. just go in for that. They're going to go molest you whether you want them to or not. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could spend all day talking with you and uh, <laughs> hopefully I'll get to come out and visit you sometime when you get your facility great. built. That would be really yeah. cool. So cool. thank you again, this very last minute. And I appreciate your coming on because I think Happy it's just it. great education. Thank you, Amy. Thanks, Heidi. Well, Tommy, that was an excellent uh, discussion with Amy. I'm uh, we're, we're soul sisters. I mean, for sure. We, uh, we speak the same language and I really enjoyed it. And I'm serious that I want to go to Idaho now and um, see how she trains service dogs. I'm jazzed about that. You know, you know, I talk about that a lot. Um, but, you know, it's a trip to Idaho, so that's all good. So could be very fun. Yeah, so I'll provide her uh, links and show notes to her um, social media and website. Uh, but just, just somebody, I followed her on social media and just somebody who's very matter of fact and a good dog trainer. So, um, I know, I know people will get a lot out of that, that interview and, um, we're up to the pet peeve and I get the pet peeve today. And one of the things that we discussed quite a bit and I'm so passionate about is, um, people and fake service dogs. So I'm, <clears throat> I've done it before, but I'm going to make this my pet peeve again. You're hampering the ability of people to be independent in their lives who truly need a service dog by having fake service dogs. And if you can't go to the store without taking your dog and going in a grocery store, which is illegal, unless you have a service dog, you've got bigger problems. Your dog's not trained well enough to stay home for an hour or two, then you've got bigger problems. But you're hurting everybody when you do the fake service dog thing. Emotional support animals are wonderful. Every animal is an emotional support animal. My sister <laughs> yes. says that. So we get it. We get it. But they're not the same as a service dog. They're not welcome everywhere that a service dog is welcome. And there's a reason for that. And um, stop breaking the rules. And Facebook, shame on you. There's still, there's all the fake news out there and there's still ads that say, take your dog everywhere, buy this vest and get this doctor approval and you can take your dog everywhere. I always report them as, uh, I don't know, spam or uh, something, you know, on Facebook to say, these are, these are not right. These are fake news. You know, you're not allowed to do that. They're illegal. And yet yeah. they take other things down, but they allow those ads. 
So it's very frustrating. It is. And I feel I have an episode uh, on canine companions in my animal tales probably several months ago. And the girl talks about her service dog being attacked 10 times, physically attacked 10 times and had to retire because the dog had PTSD, a young, you know, 25 Mm -hmm. to $40,000 service dog. It's unacceptable. And I, I, I want to shame people into not doing it. I just so disagree with it. It, it really, the more, the more common this is becoming the bigger of a problem we're having and it's going to get to the tipping point where now even real service dogs are not going to be allowed. I know in public spaces. I know, you know, it's, it's that little bit, a couple of bad eggs ruin the entire carton. Well, Um, speaking of eggs in a carton Publix, which is our grocery store chain down here in the South um, has really started coming out strong against the fake dogs. And, you know, it's so difficult. Nobody wants to get sued and you can only ask a couple questions of the people, but here's a clue. If you have two dogs, they're not service dogs, which I saw in Publix recently. And um, if people are allowing their dog to be pet petted, it's not a service mm-hmm. dog. And if it's yapping or not staying with the person and not just looking ahead and looking at their person and looking around and all nervous or peeing or pooping, it doesn't have to stay in the store. You can ask it to leave yeah. and they're getting wiser to that. So, and it, it's not difficult to tell a well-trained no. service animal versus an untrained just pet. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you know what, people? Stop petting every dog on dog you see. Yeah. Dogs are not new. This is, I mean, we lose our minds over dogs. So stop petting them in Publix. If the dog is in Publix, they're calling it a service dog. So don't yeah, play so their stay game. Away. Yeah. It's doing a job. Exactly. So. Yeah. All right, Tommy, you're up with a training tip. What you got? Yeah. So training tip this week, uh, something I've been kind of paying attention to. I've got to work my dog into the show, of course. Every oh, week. Jimmy Dean. So, here we go. Jimmy Dean. Uh, so we, we've talked about training with routine. We've talked about training, um, you know, in your, into your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, observation is something that I think uh, is key in your training observe what you are training your dog to do inadvertently. So Uh uh, an example of this is um, this time of year, I can't take my dog with me. It's too hot. He can't stay in the truck all day. Uh, So he stays at home and uh, it's been fun for me in the morning watching how he observes me and then what he, how he reacts. Right. So, he knows if I get up and, and, you know, I've had my coffee on the couch and we're hanging out in the morning. And then if I get up and I start going into the bathroom and and doing my, you know, morning ritual routine to get ready to go out the door, he takes himself into the bedroom, onto the bed and lays down. (laughs) And that's not something I've necessarily trained him to do, Yeah, but he knows the routine that's coming. Yeah. He knows that I'm getting ready to leave the house. It's obviously, you know, I'm getting dressed and I'm getting ready to go out the door. And so he, he's very aware of that and I don't make a big deal about it. Yeah. I don't, 
coddle him, you know, oh, I'm going to have to leave you all day. I don't do any of that. Create separation anxiety. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry I, I have to go. <laughs> yeah, and, and I do feel bad. I really yeah, yeah. do. No, I, I understand. I'm gone sometimes 12 hours um, on, on some of these days where I'm gone out training horses all day long. Um, and I do feel bad to leave him home, uh, you know, without a job or anything to do. But I also know that he's well cared for, yeah. that when I get home, we're going to, you know, have our, our training time and, and he's going to have stimulus stimulation and he's going to, you know, he has a good life. Oh, I yeah. Feel, yeah. Feel that bad about it. But I think what's interesting is to observe the things that we're actually inadvertently training our dog to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and use that then incorporate that into your daily routine. Um, and maybe you can encourage some behaviors and reinforce some behaviors that you like. Um, I like it when he goes in and lays down on the bed and, and is relaxed. Just takes say. a ch- chills out on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't like when he follows me to the door. Uh, sometimes he'll, he'll try to come to the door like, Hey, am I going with you? Trooper does uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. So I just encourage him to go back to the bed. That's come later, but um, I think it's a, kind of an interesting thing that we can add into our, our routines as we live with our dogs. Yeah. And Pay attention to, yeah. The takeaway for me, and I was just reading um, a client uh, mentioned this, and I was reading about it this week, following up on some, some reading. The observing, exactly that. Your dog is figuring some stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. This is a dog that you can't make sit or can't make behave or you open the front door and he dashes out and you feel like you're never going to get that sorted out. But yet observe the things that he's actually doing. Just the fact that he's there, he knows when the door opens. He's smart enough to figure all that out. So he's smart enough to be trained to handle things the right way. So yeah, if they're figuring this stuff out, my dad used to say, you got to be a little smarter than the animal you're training. <laughs> there are days so I true. questioned myself on that. Yes. So, absolutely. you know, if people would maybe find a little more humility about it and, but also step up at the same time. But yeah, it's yeah. great. I love that training tip. Observe your dog and your animal and see what they're doing. Excellent, Tommy. Well, yeah. this was a great episode and, um, Again, we'd love to hear from you. Let, let us know what you thought about uh, Amy and uh, dog training and uh, anything else we talk about. And let us know what you'd like to hear or if there's somebody you think would be a great guest. We'd love to hear from, from you on all of that. And uh, Tommy, again, thank you as always. Thank you, Heidi. And uh, please subscribe to our podcast, rate and review it, and please share it. There's a lot of dogs out there great information. It's doggone good information. And I hope you'll join us next time.